Hello and welcome to Bill Allen's Facebook study. Glad to have you today and hope that you're doing well. Uh, it is a Tuesday afternoon and here in uh, Northeast Texas, it's been very, very nice and mild. And we've had some actual cool nights. Uh, not nearly as cool as some of the rest of you, but uh, cool nonetheless, especially by Texas standards. Uh, even in the first week of October. Uh, glad to have you joining in today. I'm really excited about our lesson as we continue on towards the end of the Old Testament times. It's hard to believe if you've been reading through the Daily Bible in chronological order or some other uh, Daily Bible chronological study. In um, uh, uh, This one is by F. Lagard Smith, editor, and uh, others are out there. Even a, a Bible study plan that has you reading through uh, the whole Bible from cover to cover in order of it being uh, as it's written, uh, you're probably about in the close to the same place that we are uh, when it comes to uh, the timing. We're going to be finishing out the Old Testament here pretty soon in a matter of days, uh, in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll look at one of my favorite parts of the F. Lagarde Smith study, which is his, his uh, couple days he spends on the silent 400 years, that time in between the writing of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of uh, the New Testament times uh, when Jesus is born. So it's really um, a very exciting time to be reading through the Bible. And today is uh, the wonderful story of Esther. Uh, take a minute to find the book of Esther if you want or click on the book of Esther. And uh, it is a it is a magnificent uh, a magnificent story. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are right there, sandwiched in between uh, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, uh, and then Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then you have Job and Psalms. And so it's it's not exactly the easiest book to find, but it's also uh, fairly simple if you kind of know the general area where you're looking. So um, I'm excited about this study, and I love. I love the book of Esther, and I love this story about the book of Esther. Uh, this woman writes, The youth in my church had been studying the book of Esther. I knew my son had been paying attention when we had Brussels sprouts for supper. Spearing one and looking at it distastefully, he placed it in his mouth, saying, If I perish, I perish. <laughs> well, <clears throat> if you don't remember the connection there to the book of Esther, we're going to be reading those words and um, Esther says those words in a very dramatic scene in Esther chapter 4 that is one of the, the most uh, uh, well-known scriptures, I think, out of the Old Testament for such a time as this. And Mordecai uh, tells that, gives that challenge to his relative Esther, and then Esther responds with those great words, uh, if I perish, I perish, but I will do what God is calling me to do. So let's look a little bit about the setting of Esther and where we are. Uh, remember the Assyrians take the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity in 721 BC. Over the last several weeks, we've seen the Babylonians threaten and finally take uh, the city of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity in 586 BC. And then just more recently, we read uh, the wonderful story in the book of Ezra of Cyrus's decree. King Cyrus of Persia takes over after the Babylonians, and he decrees in Ezra chapter 1 that the Israelites have uh, the legal permission and call to go home if they choose. Some of them probably didn't. They had been there for 70 years, 
And, uh, and Jeremiah had even written them and told them, hey, you know, buy a house, plant a garden, uh, marry off your kids, pray for the land where you are and the city where you are and the people where you are. Uh, but there are many of them that wanted to go home and they were ready to go home. And so in 516 BC, the temple is completed under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who is royal blood, uh, a descendant of King David, and Joshua the priest, the great preaching of Haggai, and Zechariah, and the encouragement they gave them after they had let some of their enemies around them stall them out and and uh, delay the, the t building of the temple, but it was completed. And then in around, sometime around 480 BC, in Susa, one of the capital cities of uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, um, we read this story of Esther. And uh, it involves Esther, of course, her relative, probably an uncle uh, who helped, who raised her basically, uh, by the name of Mordecai. Uh, and this uh, Persian king, uh, in some translations, it's Ahasuerus, uh, others say Xerxes, a more Greek name for that uh, Persian king. And, um, and he reigned from 486 to 465 BC. And the story of Esther happens over several years. Um, and, uh, and there is an ancient Greek writer in uh, a book called Histories by Herodotus. Uh, who corroborates parts of the book of Esther, and so that's interesting as well. So let's get to it. Um, in chapter 1 uh, begins, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, the, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. This is the uh, Persian, Medo-Persian Empire, called by other names as well. And, uh, and so the king is Xerxes in the NIV, and the queen is Vashti, V-A-S-H-T-I. Uh, she is Vashti, and, um, and what happens is the king uh, throws a party for all of his cohorts, a banquet, which means there's a lot of eating and a lot of drinking and a lot of bragging uh, going on. And so in chapter 1, verse 12, it says, when the attendants... Uh, delivered the king's command. You see, the king had commanded that Queen Vashti come so he could show her off to his drunken buddies. And um, uh, it was a power play. It was an arrogant act that was very cruel to Vashti, and uh, she didn't want to do it. And so she didn't. Uh, she refused to come. And so the king, of course, was furious. But it goes on from there. Uh, in verse 15, uh, uh, he asks, according to the law, what must be done to the queen? She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the, uh, the, the messengers of the king had told her. And so it's interesting how the king's advisors respond. Not much has changed through the centuries. Uh, over 2,000 years, around 2,500 years or so. And this is what his, uh, his noblemen come to him and say in verse 17, all the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, hey, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she wouldn't come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct 
will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. <laughs> so what were they concerned about? Oh, not what was right and what was wrong. What they were concerned about is, oh man, if, if Queen Vashti gets away with this, I'll never be able to tell my wife to do anything. That's exactly what they thought. And so they suggest this. They say, hey, look, king, why don't you fire the queen? Why don't you fire the queen and get somebody else? In fact, you can get somebody. You, we can have this big beauty pageant sort of thing. And the king can pick from all of the Persian women uh, to be his next queen. Well, the king loved that idea, of course. And so in chapter 2, they send out this notification that there's going to be this big-time beauty pageant, as we would call it. And the next queen is going to be chosen. So Mordecai hears of that. And he takes Esther, who is under his care, uh, a Hebrew woman. And he says, you know, you need to take part in this. This is, this is a great opportunity for you to secure your future. And so he talks to her about that. And, uh, and he, but he tells her, don't tell anybody who you are. So in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. He was very concerned about her in there, didn't leave her alone, but was as involved as he could be. Well, that beauty pageant goes on, and guess who is going to be chosen? Uh, chapter 2 of Esther, verses 17 and 18. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Well, then chapter 2 continues on, and uh, starting at about verse uh, 21, we read the story that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate and was uh, just kind of there with the other townspeople and citizens of the kingdom, and, and he heard these two men plotting a crime against the king to, uh, to basically take his life. And so he reported it to Queen Esther, and then Queen Esther told the king, and they found out about it. Well, still haven't told them who Esther was, and so it becomes it gets recorded in the chronicles, the annals of the king. It's basically uh, what happens uh, each day, and um, and so they do that. Well, now we come to chapter three, and we're introduced uh, to a man by the name of Haman. Haman is one of the king's officials, very high up. And had an ego to boost. <laughs> and the king honored uh, Haman. And, uh, and there was, uh, as whenever Haman walked around people, they would bow. Except for one person. And that person was Mordecai. Mordecai just wouldn't do it. Because the man was not God. Mordecai was a worshiper of God. And he refused uh, to do that. And so they tried to get Mordecai to do that. Because they knew it was dangerous. But yet... Uh, he would not. And so when Haman saw that Mordecai would not give him any the respect that he felt he was due, then he, he thought, I, I got to get this guy. But Haman was so wicked. He was such a, a horrible villain. He was so wicked that he said, you know, I don't want to just destroy Mordecai. I want to destroy all of his people. He heard that he was a Jew 
And so he said, you know what? We need to get these people. And so in chapter 3, Haman goes before the king and he says, look, king, there's a people among the nation that are a rebellious sort. They are uh, uh, an outlaw sort. And I think you should make a decree that says on such and such a day, um, people have the right to kill off all the Jews. And the king, of course, all he cared about was his own power. It wasn't a threat to him. And he liked Mordecai, and Mordecai was high up. So he said, um, okay, fine, you can, you can do that. Mordecai had even offered the king money to do it. And the king said, well, don't worry about it. We'll just, we'll just do this. And so the decree is made. Well, when Mordecai hears about it in chapter 4, uh, of course, he goes into mourning. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. Uh, he declares a fast. He doesn't do anything. Well, Esther heard about this. And so she goes, uh, sends word to Mordecai and says, what, why are you doing this? What are you doing? And Mordecai sends word back and says, look, uh, you got to do something. The king is going to kill off all of our people. And uh, you have a, a, an insight into the king as queen. And so you need to go to him and tell him what's going on. Well, Esther sends word back to Mordecai and says, hey, look, you can't just walk up to the king. You can't just go into the king's chamber and say, hey, I got a, I got a request for you. Even the queen was not allowed uh, to do this unless they were called. When the king calls, then you come running. But you can't just you know, take the initiative and go in before the king uh, yourself. Even the queen could not do that. And, Morde and Esther told Mordecai, look, the penalty for that if the king refuses to see you is death. Uh, I, I could be killed for this. And, uh, and so Mordecai sends these words back uh, to Queen Esther. And this is a great passage in Esther 4, starting in verse 12. Esther 4, verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther 4, verse 14. Such an incredible statement. Uh, memorable words. Um, Mordecai writes back and says, look, I love you. I know it's, it's risky and you could lose your life, but you know God has this. And God is in control and God will save his people. We'll, we'll be delivered. And if it's not through you, it'll be through someone else. But who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Who knows but that God has not set you right where you are for this very moment. Incredible, incredible statement. And it touches Esther and out of her great respect for Mordecai and her great love for her God and for her people, she responds with this in Esther 4 verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. If I perish, I perish. 
He has every right legally to take my life because he has not summoned me. He has not called me in a month. And if I just walk in on him, he could have me killed. But even so, you pray and fast. Tell everyone you know to pray and fast for me for three days. My attendance and I will do the same. And then I'll go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. Great, incredible, faithful step by this incredibly godly, brave, courageous woman. Well, for such a time as this, you're probably put into a situation right now for such a time as this. Maybe not as dramatic as what we read about with Esther and Mordecai, but still every bit as important in your life and in the people's lives that God has placed you in for such a time as this. Well, in chapter 5, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand, which meant that she could approach. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and, Queen Esther, and the king says, What is it? Queen Esther, what I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom, whatever, it's all yours. And the queen says, well, I tell you what, I would love to throw a banquet for you and for your servant, Haman. And so the king says, fine, let's do it. And there you can tell me what your request is. And so the king says, has Haman brought at once and goes before uh, the king and the king again asks Esther, "What what is it that you want?" And she says, "If if I have found favor in the eyes of the king, then let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare, and I will answer the queen's question or the king's question." And so Haman leaves, and of course he's feeling really good about himself. He had enjoyed a banquet with the king and queen by himself, and now they've asked him to come again tomorrow night. And he's feeling great. And then he walks by Mordecai and he says, uh, this guy, he just bugs me so much. And so he goes home and he pouts and his wife says, what is up with you? What's the matter? And he says, I, I, I am special in the eyes of the king and the queen, but it doesn't matter when I walk by and I see Mordecai not giving me any respect. And so his wife says, look, <laughs> you've got all the power. Build a set of gallows, man. Have a pole set up and just stick Mordecai on it. Just uh, take his life. You know, you don't have to wait for this decree day. And so he says, you know, that's a great idea. So he goes and he has those gallows built. Well, and that night the king couldn't sleep. In Esther chapter 6, the king wakes up in the middle of the night and he couldn't sleep. So what do you do? Well, he couldn't, he couldn't go online and listen to some of Bill's sermons, which flied him right out to sleep. So instead he said, hey, bring me... Bring me the King's Annals, the Chronicles. I, I, I just don't feel good about something. So as he's reading through there, he reads about Mordecai and how he saved the king's life. And so he calls his attendants and he says, hey, what was, what was done for this guy? What reward did he receive? And they said, well, we haven't done a thing. And so he says, well, I got to come up with something. Who's, who's around? Who's in the courtyard? And they said, well, Haman's here. And he says, great, send him in. So Haman comes in. <laughs> this is so good in chapter six and and the king asks Haman. he says hey 
What should be done for the person that the king really wants to honor? Well, guess what Haman's thinking? Well, <laughs> who would the king want to honor more than me? And so he says, oh, I don't know. And of course, he's dreamt of this all of his life. He says, I don't know. Maybe you should uh, get a robe that the king has worn and put it on him. Uh, uh, put, a, put a ring that the, of the king and, and put it on him. And uh, deck him out in, in royal attire. And then parade him through the city. And have someone announcing in front of him, this is what is done for the man that the king favors. And the king says, I love it. I want you to do that exact thing to Mordecai. And I don't want you to spare anything. I want you to honor Mordecai the way you have just described. Well, of course, Haman couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it, but now he was stuck. What was he going to do? And so they call for Mordecai and Haman parades around the city with Mordecai saying, this is what is done for the man uh, that the king favors. And then Haman leaves and he runs home and hides. Well, the next night, of course, uh, is the night of Esther's second banquet. And the king is there. Haman is there. And so finally the king says, look, look, Esther, what is it that you want? I'll give you anything. You name it, it's yours. And the queen says, well, I just want to live. I just want my life and the life of my people because someone has threatened me and all of my people. And the king is furious. And he says, who is it that has done this? <laughs> and she points over and she says, it is your servant, Haman, who has done this. Well, Haman is scared to death. The king goes off in a rage. Haman is scared to death. The king walks out. He goes before Esther where she's reclining and he, and he begs her, please spare me. Don't, don't, don't do this. Don't let this happen to me. And then the king comes in, of course, you know, comes in right at the wrong time. And he sees Haman and he says, what, now that you're, are you going to, are you going to try to assault my wife, the queen right here in my very own chambers? And so he asks around and he says, what is, what is that outside? And they said, well, it's gallows that Haman had built to kill the man that the king has honored, Mordecai. And the king says, fine, put him on it. And so Haman is killed and Mordecai is saved, but only for a while because we still have this decree. And so Esther goes before the king and she says, you've got to rescind this decree. And he says, well, we can't do that. Um, we can't do that. And so in Esther chapter 8, they ask him, well, can, what can we do? So what they do is they come up with another edict, another decree. And the king makes another decree, and it says if the Jews want to fight, they have uh, the permission and the legal uh, decree that says they can defend themselves. And they can recruit anyone from within the kingdom uh, to help them. And so that's exactly what happens. And after they had uh, uh, gathered everyone and, and done all of that, they, um, they were able to defend themselves and they, they brought out a great victory for the Jews against their enemies, the people who wanted them dead. Uh, they were victorious. And it went so well that the queen says, let's, Mordecai and the queen say, let's do this again another day. And they do. And they continue 
uh, this uh, 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 victorious battle against all of their uh, enemies. And, um, and then afterwards, um, they have a celebration. They have this celebration feast, and they call it Purim. And the reason they call it Purim is because when Haman was trying to decide what day this, this uh, uh, slaughter of the Jews should happen on, he cast lots for it, the pure. And that's where they get the name for the, the, the Jewish festival of Purim. And it's still celebrated even today. It's two days in February or March. They celebrate with feasting. They donate to charity. And they read the book of Esther. It's an incredible, incredible story. And then in chapter 10, um, it ends with Mordecai being elevated to a very high place in uh, the kingdom under uh, King Xerxes with Queen Esther at his side as the queen. Just an amazing story of God's presence, of God's power, of God's faithfulness, of God's deliverance, but also a reminder of how God uses regular human beings. And I, I always say, and I remind myself, you know, this is a great story and I love it, you know, for such a time as this. And Esther, if I perish, I perish. And we read that and we don't get the power behind that because we know how it ends. We know what happens to Haman. We know that the king writes another decree. We know that they have this marvelous victory over all of their enemies. But Esther didn't know that. Mordecai knew that God would deliver them somehow, but he didn't know how, and he didn't know that it would include him. And yet Mordecai said, Esther, you've got to go. I know it's illegal. I know it could cost us our lives and your life, but you've got to go. And who knows but that God has put you right where you are for such a time as this. And Esther says, you're right. You're right. You pray and fast for me and tell everybody else to do the same. My attendants and I will pray and fast for three days, and I'll go before the king, even though I haven't been called or summoned in over a month. And if I perish, I perish. You know, God doesn't always deliver us in those situations. He doesn't always deliver people in Scripture in those situations. The most significant example of that is Jesus Christ himself. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what may your will be done. We pray that same prayer. If I perish, I perish. If it goes well for me, that's good. If it doesn't, I'm still going to be faithful to God's call. I'm still going to respond at such a time as this. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what uh, challenges you have. But I do know that God uses every single one of us. And that he has put us right where he wants us. He is still the king of the universe. And he has us here at this time, at this place, with these gifts and these opportunities for such a time as this. I hope and pray that all of us will respond the way the incredible, courageous, faithful Queen Esther responded and said, whatever the consequences, I will serve and follow the Lord. May God bless us all to be what he's calling us to be for such a time as this. I'll see you on Thursday.